Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you, as usual, for surviving another day so you could listen to Can You Survive This Podcast where, uh, you know, as you know by now, the interviews are just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my victims through. And uh, it's important to note that this show in just 20 or so episodes is already in the top 1% of podcasts. We have hundreds of thousands of downloads, and that wouldn't be possible without our listeners. So thank you. I just want to say thanks. We appreciate five stars and comments on all platforms. That's what keeps us moving forward. Uh, so without further ado, today we have an Oklahoma native founder of Undaunted Life, which is an organization equipping men to push back against darkness. Specifically, they do that through producing content that leads men to forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. He is the host of Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I like that, a man's podcast. Launched in 2017, so... He'll probably be critiquing me on my skills and uh, has written several successful devotionals for the version Bible app. So thank you for being on the show, Kyle. Hey, this is awesome. I'm glad to be here, man. Yeah. So Kyle Thompson, he's a, uh, you've been around the block with podcasting for a while. So anytime I'm interviewing a, a veteran host then I'm always like, Oh boy, am I doing this right? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to critique me? <laughs> Dude, I've, I've already got my notepad out. I've already been writing down some critiques, but I will tell you. So to, to congratulate you to be just a couple of dozen episodes in and where you're at, you know, we've been at this yeah. since 2017 and we're, we're in like the top seven or 8% of podcasts. So ours has been kind of a, <laughs> ours has been kind of a slow burn, whereas yours is like an immediate, you know, flash flood kind of a deal. So congratulations on that. Yeah, it's doing pretty good, which all this stuff is new to me. The numbers are new, but you know, the producers are, you know, crunching that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool to be, uh, to be making our way up. I mean, we're under education and, uh, you know, the, the people that we have ahead of us are like Jason Bateman, you know, uh, <laughs> who's that, like that money guy, um, the guy that gives great financial advice. Oh, are the, it, uh, is it, uh, uh, 
Oh gosh, Dave Ramsey a bunch or something of, like that. Yeah, Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, I mean, guy. like, like those are the people in education that we, you know, I'm like, okay, well, we're probably well, Clint, as high I'm, as I'm we're in, gonna go. Well, I'm in the religion and spirituality category, and so like when <laughs> yeah. I hit the charts, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in the same line as like Joel Osteen or all these people that just drive me absolutely nuts, and so <laughs> it does get me like a little bit competitive to where it's like whenever I pop above those dudes that I don't like very much, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you see that, and but it's like yeah. you know your show. Your show doesn't really fit education only, but obviously it has an education component. Mine's not yeah. just like religion and spirituality only, but you just have to put it somewhere. So you do what you got to do. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um, okay. So as usual, we're going to start off with a rapid fire, obviously not to offend, but just to get the discussion going, we'll go through them. You pick your answers and then we'll circle back around to the wise. Okay. Sounds good. All right. And because you're faith-based, we're going to have fun with this. All right. Let's go. Jesus or Muhammad? Uh, gosh, uh, can I flip a coin? Yeah, well, we'll go ahead and go with Jesus. <laughs> All right. I think I know the answer to this one. Um, heaven or hell? Heaven uh, seems like a much better place to hang out. Got to be honest. Okay. Mental or physical? I would say mental because if you've got mental squared away, you can tell your body what to do. So we'll go with mental. Okay. Yeah. And we'll dig into that more when we circle, circle back around here. Um, strength or endurance? Endurance, 100%. Okay. Football or baseball? Baseball. Are you kidding me? America's pastime, football, they're just playing around. We'll, get, we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely get into that. Baseball because yeah. I'm not a communist. All right. Uh, man bun or uh, shaved head? Joe Rogan has one of those. And so we'll go with the shaved head. How about that? <laughs> All right. Pray or hope? Pray 100%. Obviously you see, you're giving me all these softball questions. Hopefully the survival <laughs> part, the survival part at the end is this easy, but yeah, we'll go with pray. All right. Uh, offense or defense? Defense. Defense wins championships. Okay. All right. Now we're going to get a little crazy here. Crucifix or holy water? <laughs> uh jesus died on one of those and i don't trust holy water so let's go with the crucifix <laughs> see that's good to know that kind of lays us out for some stuff in the future here uh playboy or penthouse hmm? i'm i'm not gonna answer that get out of here with that nonsense <laughs> get out of I'll, you know what i'll say i'll flip it i would say penthouse because that's the suite i want to stay in whenever i'm in a hotel how about that oh boy man and that also pushes the limits you know that's uh yeah, we'll have to dig into that. Okay, so, uh, all right, last one. Bible or Constitution? Bible. Without the Bible, you yeah. don't have the Constitution. All right. Okay, so somewhat easy for you. I mean, I didn't throw too many zingers in there. I had some I had some thoughts, but I was like, well. <laughs> oh, just do it. No, seriously, if you've got yeah, them, dude, I've already right. sat down with Mike Ritland before, so he already <laughs> asked me all the crazy questions. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll get into some of that. Okay, so I think heaven and hell is uh, an easy one, obviously. I think most people want to go to heaven, but I feel like most of my friends will be in hell. So how do you uh, – it kind of makes the decision a little tougher. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, I've heard that as well. Like uh, the, the crowd is going to be cooler down in hell. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. the funny thing about hell is, you know, Jesus, if you look at the, the Gospels, he talks about hell way more than he talks about paradise or heaven. Um, and we have this idea that hell is just, it's eternal, you know, fire. We're just going to be suffering the entire time. But I kind of like how C.S. Lewis talks about hell to where hell 
is a further extension of a selfish life on earth right now. And so we know these people that are miserable, that are completely self-absorbed, that hell is going to be that times about a million, right? And so where it's, you're just going to be toiling and working without any progress. So, so imagine being like a power lifter and, and you're, you know, trying to get your deadlift up or something like that. And the harder you work, you're actually worse at deadlift. Like, that's what I feel like hell is going to be. It's going to be suffering, but I don't think it's going to be like, oh, my skin's on fire for eternity. I think it's just going to be this soul level anguish. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, like if you believe, uh, what, what the Bible tells us and you believe that hell is actually a real place, Certainly there will be people that you love that are not going to spend eternity uh, in heaven. They are going to spend eternity away, separated from God. And so uh, that that's why you, when you get into something like that, Christians can't agree on what they think heaven's going to be. So the, the subject of hell, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I hope I never get to actually experience what hell's like because I hope I'm never there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's an interesting view because, you know, I'm not a religious guy and I've always looked at, you know, how life could be is, you know, I always, I've always kind of thought, what if it's just realms, realms of life and you don't actually know when you die, right? You Mm. just, let's say on that, that realm or that lifeline, you just bump to a different realm, but it keeps on going. Right. And, uh, and what you're saying is it either can progressively go good for you or it could actually go worse you know, yeah. almost like layers of realms. You've got the the baseline in the middle, you've got good above you and bad below. And you kind of move between those based on how you're living your life at that point in time. But well, and the funny thing know. about that is I've already mentioned, I've already mentioned Joel Osteen. So I might as well mention that crackpot again. But the reason where he, the why <laughs> yeah. he gets the, where he gets his prosperity gospel thing from is because there's scripture that tells us, you know, we're going to have, you know, different, uh, I guess, types of blessings in heaven. And so a guy like Joel Osteen sees that is like, okay, he wants the biggest house with the goldest toilet and the most uh, people that come (laughs) over to see him. And that's the, that's what he sees in terms of heaven. Uh, But you know, you talk about that, like Christians, I love when people, when they argue about this, because it's like, you nerds don't even know you're arguing over something you couldn't possibly know. But there is a certain school of thought in terms of heaven to where, you know, like when a Christian dies, like, okay, Billy Graham dies and oh, he's in heaven now. The now part is the part that people debate because there's some people think that until Jesus comes back and, and you know, basically um, reignites the earth and, and, and resurrects the, the, the beautiful earth that was meant to be here from the beginning, that everyone who's died is actually just asleep right now. And then they will yeah. be with him in heaven. And so it's like, it's one of those realm things to where it's like, no one actually knows. We, we don't know. Cause I don't believe most of those stories where people die and come back after they, you know, walk through a meadow with Jesus kind of a thing. But it, it's just, it's something that's interesting to where it's like, when you're asleep, you don't realize you're asleep. And when you're awake, you recognize intellectually, oh, I've been, I've been asleep for the last eight hours kind of a thing, but it doesn't feel like that. You're just awake now. So it's like, where is your consciousness while, while everything else is going on. Cause down here we experience 60 seconds, like it's 60 seconds, but to God, our entire lifetime is like a blink of an eye. So anyway, it's one of those debates that again, it's interesting to talk about for about five yeah. seconds. And then it's like, okay, th- this is probably fruitless. Let's move on to something else. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, the reality is, is, you know, you get to find out when you die. That's the sure. answer. Well, uh, it's coming sooner or later. <laughs> um, right. All right. 
So, uh, mental, physical, you, you kind of already answered that one mental and you, uh, yeah, I think your point was valid. It's fucking great. Cause it's like, yeah, you, you, if you don't have, uh, like control of the mental aspect, then you really won't really gain anything anywhere else in your life, uh, to a certain degree. Right. When I think it's, and you've talked about this and it's certainly a through point on your books and just kind of how you live your life. But if you're trying to endure something, right? You can only endure so much physically, right? Uh, because you, when you start running, right? And you're a few miles in, or you're running on a rough terrain or something like that, your brain is telling your body that it's tired or that it's not right. But then your brain's also telling your body whether or not you can keep going. So when you listen to a guy like a Cam Haynes or a David Goggins, or any of these people that do these extreme things physically, they've trained their bodies to follow their brains, right. To, to follow their mental side of things. Same thing with jujitsu. Like I was doing a jujitsu tournament a couple of weeks ago and I experienced something I've never experienced because I, I take my, my fitness very, very seriously. I gassed in the middle of a match. Like my grips were, were gone all of a sudden. And it was like, Oh no, I, I've got to figure out what to do here. And one of the options Clint was to do nothing to roll over, give the guy my collar and my neck and call it a day. But it's like, look, yeah. there's two and a half more minutes left in this match. I got to figure something out because I want to win. But <laughs> yeah. it's like it wasn't because my body was telling me this match is over. But my mind was like, no, it certainly is not. There's more to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, those are great points. I like it. The mental definitely is all about it. You know, and you hear it with you kind of mentioned it, a lot of guys are just buds. You know, we tell people all the time it's 90 percent mental, 10 percent physical. Mm -hmm. And once you uh, once you understand that, then you'll do you'll do good things. Um you picked endurance over strength kind of follow part of the, the reason, same process. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the reason for that is you even said in my intro, we talk about cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Well, why yeah. didn't I use the word strength? And, and the reason I always give is because strength is, it wanes over time and it's very inconsistent. So uh, the guy that won the world's strongest man this year, it's a dude from England. I can't remember his name for the life of me. Um, but this guy on the, the last day of the competition, he was the world's strongest man. But when he woke up the next morning, even though he had the trophy with him in his hotel room, he was not the strongest man in the world anymore because his body was broken down. He was beat up. He had just competed for two or three days in the most extreme, some of the most extreme things you could do with the physical body. Someone else on the planet was the world's strongest man that day. But he's not yeah. just a strong athlete. He's a resilient athlete. So give him a couple of weeks of ice baths and massages and, and treatment, and he's probably the strongest man in the world again. And I, you want to be able to, be, to bounce back because life is going to constantly throw you curveballs. And if you're relying on your strength, you're going to lose. You're 100% you're going to lose, but it's your ability to bounce back. It kind of goes back to what happened to me at that jujitsu ju tournament. My strength failed me. And that's kind of been my calling card. That's kind of how, how I roll, you know, no pun intended, like literally how I roll is a strength-based approach. And my strength left me at that moment. But it was the resilience yeah. piece. And that that's mentally and physically at that moment, there was a resilience that was needed. So resilience, I feel like, applies more to endurance because, you know, you would rather be good over a long period of time than good for a very, very short stretch. And that short stretch is what strength is. Yeah, no, I agree. The, uh, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with my, the violent nomad workout I kind of push mm -hmm. in my books. And that is more of a run, fight, run concept. Anytime you work out, you know, start with a sprint, 
then do, you know, go straight into something physical. It could be a sled or it could be pull-ups. It could be whatever you want, push, pull, mm -hmm. rotate of some sort, and then straight into a sprint again. You combine that together and that allows you, if you run into crisis or violence, you've got the gas, you know, you've got the gas to run, you've got the gas to fight, you've got the gas to run again, because that's usually mm -hmm. how it's going to go, or at least that's how you'd like it to go. So yeah, I'm on board with the making sure you have a foundation endurance, both mentally, physically, and then what I'm guessing is the other piece is spiritually for you, right? Spiritual endurance. Yeah, I, I would say with that too, is a part of the reason why our, our, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness is because a lot of men know there's darkness out there. So, so let's use an easy, low hanging fruit. Maybe it's critical race theory and you want to go talk to the school board and tell them why that shouldn't be a part of your public school curriculum that your kid happens to be a part of. Well, you're, you're not prepared for that conversation because you have no idea where critical race theory comes from. You have no idea that it comes from critical theory that comes from critical social justice, which comes from Marxism. Well, actually the Frankfurt school, which comes from Marxism which come, which comes from Satan's butthole. And so like, there's, there's so much <laughs> tied into this worldview, but so many guys, even spiritually, Clint, I have a buddy of mine a few years ago, he, he lost his job and he didn't really have a lot of prospects. And this is a guy that he and I uh, became Christians on the same day. One of my best friends of all time. He's, you know, having a bad stretch of things, two or three months of a bad stretch of things. And this guy started questioning whether or not God existed because he was having trouble finding a job. And I was thinking about the first century church and what these earliest Christians believed and what they experienced when they were uh, covered in oil and set ablaze, when they were buried alive, whenever they were hooked up to two separate oxen and ripped apart, ripped in half, when they were drugged until they were dead. And I was like, these people even in the wake of that, knowing that they were going to experience these things, never let go of their faith. But here we are 2000 years later, and you're having a slightly rough go of it in a very affluent city where you haven't even missed a meal. And you're, you're questioning whether or not the creator God exists anymore. And that to me was indicative of a very non-resilient spiritual outlook because he bought into the lie, this modern lie that because you're a Christian, your life is supposed to be easy. There's no such guarantee. I was like, you can't read, you know, four seconds of the, or, you know, four pages of anywhere in the Bible and think to yourself, oh, I became a Christian and then my life got super easy and people just started handing me money and prestige. Like that's not the real world. Like that's some sort of made up Instagram bull crap. And so that's the thing is you, in order to be resilient, you have to have that right mindset. And if you're spiritually falling apart, it's going to affect you in all of the other areas of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I got you, man. I, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I definitely don't see the correlation regardless of spirituality, like work hard, keep moving forward, work hard, keep moving forward. You know, uh, if you're not doing that, then yeah, you're probably not going to find a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can sit there on your couch all day and lament yeah. the fact that things aren't going well, but that's not the action that's required. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So baseball over football. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, uh, I think. Yeah. Go, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm with you. I think football's made uh, the NFLs specifically. You know, I don't want to get into. I still think college and high school football are still, you know, they're doing their their part because the end state is, you know, to get to uh, get to the NFL. But it's mm -hmm. unfortunate that the end state uh, sometimes act like a bunch of idiots with some of their decisions. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I. Uh... 
the sports wokeness thing is one of the most disappointing things that I, that I've experienced over the last little bit. And so like me personally, I don't support the NFL anymore. You know, the, the two national anthems and the, and the, the woke messages on the back of the helmets. And uh, I just, I wonder who that's, supporting is that what the fans of your sport were clamoring for or are you just paying plaudits you know to to this woke culture because you're scared of two or three dozen people on twitter sending you mean messages uh so i'm just not really into that and, and to be honest like i played baseball growing up i, I played football uh, for a little yeah. bit but I, I played baseball that was my <clears> main sport growing up and it's a it's a tremendously difficult game it's a skill game i actually had a job uh back during the 2012 season where i watched every single baseball game for the entire year i did it in a studio in New York City. That's 2,130 regular season games, plus all-star game, plus playoffs, plus World Series. And I loved every second of it, right? And so like that, it was a very unique thing, very long story. That's not too terribly interesting, but you know, I just, I love the game. There's a lot of skill required and I'm the nerd that's like watching defensive shifts and watching placement of pitches and pitch counts and all that. And even last night I was trying to predict what the next pitch was going to be on the game that I was watching. And I was like, you know mm-hmm. what? I throw a, ha- a high fastball here, see if he chases. And then he throws a high fastball and chases. And so I'm sitting there with my wife asleep and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a genius. I know what I'm talking about, but I just, I don't get, <laughs> I don't get as much into the X's and O's of football. It's just baseball's the it for me. But I will say Clint over the last probably two years, I've watched more MMA by, by a factor of probably 10 than I've watched yeah. baseball. Uh, I've watched a ton of mixed martial arts and Muay Thai um, and jiu-jitsu competitions and stuff like that. Uh, part of it is because I'm not lectured to as I'm watching, you know, people go in there and do this uh, this incredibly unique skill. So, uh, you know, it's not surpassed baseball quite yet, but it, it's kind of moving in that direction. More with Bible thumper Kyle Thompson after the break. Yeah, no, I'm with you. The uh, UFC is certainly moving past a lot of different sports out there, and I think you can anchor that to history. I mean, you, it's it's modern day gladiator shit. You know, people love it, man versus man, woman versus woman, whatever it is. It it's just it's uh, to see that human rawness and and you know what they're doing is you know completely controlling tempers and just going for it with skill, technique, endurance, strength, all the things. I mean, and, and obviously a huge mental component to, in order to win. But, uh, yeah, I find it I find it a little bit kind of disheartening that the NFL makes those changes and, uh, you know, when it's not necessary. They just, they just don't have to give in. I don't get it at all, but whatever. All right, so uh, pray over hope. You know, you know, I always say hope is not a plan, right? Of course. So uh, – but I don't think praying that uh, things are going to go a certain way is exactly a plan either. So how do you look at it? I think it's about the posture because I'm, I'm with you on hope. I don't even like talking about hope because it's like hope, hope in what? So people that come from a, a very secular worldview or a very non-theistic worldview, it's like, what are you hoping for? You're hoping in the universe. You're hoping in Mother Earth. What is it that you're exactly attaching your hope to? But I think yeah. the, the interesting thing is, is – Christians get prayer wrong in my estimation a lot of times because it's something that you kind of alluded to. They're praying for all the things that they want, which should not be the posture of somebody that's praying. You know, I, I think, what is it in, uh, in Braveheart where it's like, oh, do you confer with the Almighty? Like that kind of a thing. It's like if you're conferring <laughs> with the Almighty, at that point, you need to be worried about what the Almighty wants and not you because yeah. you're you, he's God. So in that setup, how silly is it 
that you go to him with your list of things that you want. I would like to get a job. I would like a girlfriend. I would like to be stronger. I would like to not get injured while I'm training for this tournament. Like those aren't non-important things, but in the grand scheme of the totality of your life or the totality of humanity, how important is that? And so I think most Christians, they go to God when something's falling apart, right? And that's, you know, yeah. whether it's a, an ailment or someone's died or something like that. So they go to him in desperation. And then they, that's either the only times they go to him or they go to him with requests. I would really like if this would happen, sir. Can you please make this happen, sir? And I really think the posture should more so be like, what do you want me to do right now? And I don't mean, should I, should I go to this restaurant or that restaurant? And I know people that do pray like that all day long. It's not head down, you know, doing this. It's just, they're having a conversation in their head and having a conversation with God just as they're driving down the road. But I think most people like they're just, they're not praying in a way that I think is, is honoring to God or even biblical. And so again, I don't think people should be praying just for stuff that they want. They should be praying to be like, Hey, I'm being told I need to be more like you, Jesus. I'm, I'm being yeah. told I need to be more like your son, God. What does that mean in this particular situation that I'm in in life? And I think that that would be a whole lot better for people and certainly a lot better than just hoping things work out. Yeah, no, those are, that's great points. And I think you're right. People just kind of, like you said, selfish, right? It's like mm -hmm. they pray for the things they want, how they want their life to go, you know, and every now and then, yeah, I'm sure people pray for others or sure. they pray for, you know, the world to be a peaceful place. <laughs> yeah. Which is, <laughs> but, that's pretty know. useful as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of some of these other answers you gave were obviously just very, uh, I think, common sense answers, and uh, we don't need to dig into them. I do want to take time to get into some of the questions, though, that'll uh, allow you to kind of hit on your differentiators and what you're doing. And uh, I think number one is, is me being an eight-year-old who moved to the most, you know, radical Islamic state in the world of Saudi Arabia and grew up there until high school. I traveled the world. I saw all the cultures and religions before, before high school, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up seeing all of it. And so I always ask myself, well, then with all the culture and all the religion out there, which one is the right one? Mm. And how do you answer stuff like that? Yeah. So I don't give kind of this new wave, new agey answer, new Christian answer where it's like, Hey man, it's whatever it's love. I'll just give you my version of love and you give me your version of love. The thing is, is I live in a very black and white world. Things are either true or they're not right. This is either a microphone or it's not, doesn't mean it, it can't have other uses, but it's main uses to be a microphone, right? Like things are, or they aren't. And so the Christian worldview, right. It, it either is correct or it's not. The Islamic worldview is either correct or it's not. But for me, everything goes back to a single thing. And, and so a short story to kind of prove my point. Years ago, I had a buddy that I worked with that was somewhere on the, the spectrum between atheist and agnostic, but a really, really nice guy. The problem for him is the worst people he was ever around in his entire life were Christians. So they were the most judgmental. Yeah. They were the least generous. They were the most racist, right? His girlfriend's dad, he was like a deacon at the church, would like roll his window down to say racist slurs out the window of the car as he would like drive past people of color. Horrible stuff, right? Yeah, and so he yeah. meets me, finds out I'm a Christian, and he's waiting for me to roll my window down as we're on our way to lunch to scream things at people, right? And I just didn't do that. And so long story short, he, he and I were reading this book by Tim Keller. I talked about this on, on Ritland's podcast, but it's called The Reason for God. So this was a pastor out of New York City that gave 
the seven biggest arguments people make to him as to why a God could not exist. And then he gave seven answers to as why he think it is, is reasonable to believe in God. Mm. So he and I, for months, we, we go to lunch and we're going through this book and he's kind of giving me his thoughts. I'm giving him my thoughts, that type of thing. But then we got to the end of the book and I just asked him, I'm like, man, where are you at with all this? Because this is a lot of information. This is a lot of stuff to take in. Where are you at with it? And he goes, you know what, Kyle, I'm so glad that we met. And I'm so glad that we're friends. I'm so glad we were able to go through this book together. But now I feel like I need to find a Muslim to do this with and, and a, a Hindu to do this with and a Sikh to do this with and, and a scientist to do this with. And I, and I told him, I was like, buddy, I completely see where you would come to that conclusion. But yeah. I can save you potentially a lot of time and a lot of lunch money. Figure out whether or not you believe that Jesus, a guy from Nazareth, a Middle Eastern Jew, not some sort of Danish guy, which is how he's depicted in most artwork, right? But a Middle Eastern Jew that lived on this earth for 33 years, did he die on a Roman cross and was he resurrected three days later? Figure out if you believe that that happened. Because if the answer is no, go on your, your, you know, your journey to find something that works for you. But if you can come to the conclusion that the answer is yes, because that either happened or it didn't, there's no theory. It either happened or it did not happen. And if it did happen, yeah. the only logical conclusion is you lay your life down before the Lion of Judah, before the Lamb of God, and you worship him as his disciple, right? And so that's the thing is in the, the, the way that I explain this to people is like, if I'm wrong, so so let's say I'm, I'm talking to you and you're just a st stringent atheist, right? And I'm me. Yeah. If I'm wrong, right? Then you and I, we're ending up in the same place anyway. We're going to be worm food in the ground, right? I will have just wasted a lot more money donating to the church and a lot more time being involved in church, right? But we <laughs> yeah. end up in the same place, right? Yeah. That's my yeah. worst case scenario. Yeah. Like what do you got to lose? Right. That's yeah. Your worst case scenario is eternal separation from a holy and just God, right? And so I know that's kind yeah. of a curt way of saying it. And so that's why I tell people, I was like, you don't have to come to the same conclusion as me. You got to dig mm. in, though. You got to dig in and figure it out, because that is the number one question. Not what happened with Noah's Ark and was Jonah in the well a real story or was it allegory? What about dinosaurs? Like none of that is as important as to whether or not you believe in the resurrection, because the entirety of the Bible hinges on one thing, whether it happened or whether it didn't. Yeah. OK. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for me, it was just being exposed to so much. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes you go, all right, you know. You've got a lot of a uh, lot of religions, as you know, a lot of cultures mm -hmm. um, and faiths. You know, some of them don't even consider it a religion, right? They're just mm -hmm. different faiths of whatever, it, whatever, based on that geographical point on the globe, right? And sure. People and ideas that uh, that they come up with. And the other thing that that I've always kind of curious, and and especially on your view on this, is that most wars are either religion or real estate. Right. And, uh, you know, when you kind of look at it, religion sometimes takes on a very negative, mm -hmm. uh, when you add it all up, right. I mean, you talk about lives lost in wars and ideology. They like to just give it this, this broad global word. Oh, it's ideology is terrorism. Yep. It's like, no, it's radical Islam. Um, and for a long time, there was the saying that, you know, not all Muslims are terrorists, but in current times, all terrorists are Muslim and uh, facts are facts. So, mm -hmm. 
you know, where are you with how religion is sometimes anchored to war and terrorism and all these other events that we have to deal with? Well, that's why I said earlier when you said you're not a religious guy, I said I'm not either, um, because yeah. there's a big difference between being a religious person and being a disciple yeah. of Jesus. Those, those are not the same things. Those are not created equal. The way that I would say this is you don't judge a worldview by the results or the actions of its followers. You judge a worldview by its dictates to its followers. And so you said radical Islam, Boko Haram and Al Qaeda and ISIS and ISIS K, whatever that is. Those yeah. those are not radical Muslims. Those are fundamentalist Muslims. They are following the least abrogated parts of the Quran. The ninth surah is the last chapter, the last surah that we get from Muhammad. Right. And it's the most violent and bloody surah that we have in the entire Quran. You should go read it for yourself. Even and though that's Wahhabism, right? Kind of connected in through. Well, and, and you have the Hadith, which is basically the people that are describing what's going on around Muhammad at the time. And the, late, the later Hadith are incredibly yeah. violent. And so those people are doing the most logical outcome of their worldview. However, because you mentioned, you know, real estate or religion. Well, I think the Catholic Church is still the largest owner of real estate in the world. So it's it's real estate and religion for them. But people love yeah. to bring up their crusades. They love to bring up holy wars and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But of course. when you have a pope, which I don't even think there's a biblical, uh, uh, you know, explanation as to why there should even be a pope. But we're, we're not doing a Catholic versus Protestant debate here. But when you have a pope that tells a young soldier, if you go and fight and die, for, for the cross, that you're going to receive extra benefits in heaven. There is nothing that you can find anywhere in the Bible that would prove that that's true. That is a man that made something up, and then he crossed the guy and gave him a wafer and sent him on his way, okay? But if you look at the, at the words of Jesus, if you look at how he is described and what he talks about in, in, the, in the New Testament, we have four different descriptions of the life of one man. We don't see that in antiquity. We don't see that with King Tut. We don't see that with Genghis Khan. We don't see that with Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar. But when you look at those words and you put what happened through the filter of those words, it doesn't jive. And so it's like you can look at these men and say they were using the name of Christ, but not the teachings of Christ. And so that's the difference, because if we're talking about Islam here, when you look at a moderate Muslim, the question, a fair question to ask is, why are you not a jihadist? Because that is what Muhammad said is required of you, right? Because mm -hmm. if you don't expel the infidel, right, you either kill them, you tax them, or you make them convert. Those are the options. And there's no such mandate anywhere in the scriptures. And so that's how I would answer those questions. And that's kind of a curt, easy way to answer those questions. There's a whole lot more that people can delve into, but I think that's a fair way of looking at it. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, people are humans, have the ability to basically act based on interpretation of the Quran or the Bible. And that's really what you're saying is, hey, these people are interpreting it a certain way and then going out and acting on it and then leveraging that religion, you know, for whatever reasons. Right? Well, Clint, I mean, think about think about slavery, like for the for the slave trade. And I don't just mean the slave trade in America, but the slave trade all over the place. People were using the Bible incorrectly. They were exegeting scripture incorrectly to pretend as if what they were doing to African slaves was an appropriate thing and God honoring. Mm -hmm. But then the reason why slavery was ended, because it's not, it's not any big deal that a country used slavery. It's a big deal that any country ended slavery, right? And then you have these, these entities that stopped William Wilberforce and the people like him. 
they were using the scriptures appropriately to say that we shouldn't do this anymore. And so that's kind of the, the, you know, the dissonance you get with people is, well, what about the Christians that were quoting the Bible as they were whipping their slaves? You got to ask, what about the Christians that were using the Bible to say we shouldn't do that anymore? And having done that ever was a wrong thing. And, you know, you kind of open up that can of worms as to kind of what was a slave in biblical times versus what was a slave in the 17 or 1800s or something like that. But, but again, it's, Everyone likes to have their kind of bumper sticker statement about something like that, yeah. but very few people are willing to like delve into the actual details. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a broad spectrum. And sometimes it's uh, the defense is on the positive or it's over on the negative. And mm. somehow one side or the other is what's going to be popular through history. And nobody bothers looking at the other angle. I got, I got you, man. It happens yep. all the time with everything. Um, which leads me into the next one. Like, okay, what about religion and money? You bring up Alstein you know, mansions and jets and a wife that tends to make social media every blue moon with yeah. uh, her demands on, you know, different airlines or whatever the hell it is she does. But yeah, you know what? I That religion money thing also to me is what really ruins it to a certain degree because that's all that appears. And that could be just me on one side and not looking at the other. But the reality is I don't care if you drive by uh, a Hindi temple, a mosque, or a church. I mean, the money that they put into these elaborate, beautiful buildings that, mm -hmm. yeah, certainly are much more pleasing than looking at a public storage building, some big orange fucking eyesore on the side <laughs> of the road. But yeah, a church, yeah, definitely looks cooler. But the reality is, is the money aspect and religion I think it drives me nuts. Uh, and, I, and I've got a, I've got a sub question to that, but we'll yeah. stop there and religion and money. What are yeah. your thoughts? Man, the things that really trip people up is the warfare, which you brought, brought up, you know, the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen to good people? And then money. Yeah. And the money thing has so many tendrils <laughs> coming off it because even within the church, there are people that believe, you know, we'll, we'll, we won't say the church. We'll say people that are Christians, whatever that means, because people have different definitions for that too. You're a disciple of Christ. There are people that think if you're a follower of Christ, that you should be poor, that you should live in abject poverty. Then you have the other extreme, which is if you're a follower of Christ, that means you're part of the elect. And so God wouldn't possibly allow you to not have tremendous blessings. And how do we gauge what a blessing is in our world? It's stuff, right? It's houses and it's nice suits and it's cars and it's, you know, it's plastic surgery. It's all the stuff, right? So I, I'll say this. I, I have a bunch of views in my head that don't all correlate together. The first one is, is I don't really care if Christians have money. Like if they yeah. do, great. If they don't, great. That, that makes them a category of humans because whether you break people down by a subcategory of race or, you know, country of origin or gender or something like that, there's going to be inequities no matter how you slice the pie right? There will be haves and there will be have nots. I've had people before uh, look at pastors that do kind of these, uh, I don't know, they'll have a website and then they'll have like a, well, Hey, if you pay $10 a month, you'll get, you know, X, Y, or Z on the website. And they're like, ah, how dare a pastor do such a thing? They shouldn't have to do that. They should give everything away for free. <laughs> I was like, interesting. The last time you called a plumber and had him come over to your, to your house, did you demand that he give you his time, effort, and talent for free? Because that's just so what, what happens, just so happens to be what he does. But I will yeah. say that pastors and churches and denominations have done themselves a tremendous disservice because there has been so much corrupt things that are done with money. You have them, they, they get tax write-offs, which causes a lot of, you know, they're, they're tax-free or tax-exempt. That causes a lot of consternation for people. But you have these pastors that are saying that God wants you to give them money. And then they get the private jet 
and, and they've got the $2,000 dress shoes that they were made custom for them. And they've got all these things. And yet you're still you, you're still driving your hoopty. You're still living paycheck to paycheck. But this pastor, this man of God, supposedly told you that you were supposed to give them money. Why? Because God told him to tell you that. And so I think there's a lot of nefarious things that are going on because anytime man has a hand in something there, there's not a chance of corruption. There will be corruption, whether we're talking about the church, government, you know, private businesses, whatever corruption will live in all these different places. But I just got to tell you, like the, the money thing is a problem for me as well, but I know some tremendously successful Christians that are incredibly generous and give a lot of money away because they feel like God has blessed them. And on the same token, I know some tremendously uh, successful Christians that are money hoarders. They're penny pinchers and they don't want to give anything to anybody, right? Because they kind of yeah. have this, this mindset. So th there's probably an exact way to operate thinking about money. But I think the best way for people to think about money is not a hand closed approach, but a hand open approach. Because when your hands are open, you can catch more, right? If you think about it as blessings raining down from the sky or something silly like that, you can't catch as much when your fists are clenched. But at the same time, if you treat money as like, this is not mine, this is God's money he has provided for me. So when my hands are open, I can more easily give to people. I can more easily help people, but also I can receive more blessings. That's probably a really healthy way to think about it. But believe me, I'm more so on your line of thinking when it comes to the money thing. It makes me uncomfortable as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think money, especially in America, you know, capitalism drives democracy, but I, yeah, I think that is extended, right? Capitalism drives politics. Capitalism drives religion. You know, if I put a Catholic church on every block, you know, that's no different than a social media platform throwing an ad at you every swipe. Right. So sure. it's like, OK, there it is again. There it is. OK, I guess I'll go to this church because, you know, it's walking distance. It's right down the street. Yeah. OK, I'm going to go in there. And then once I'm in there, I'm going to give them 10 bucks every Sunday. <laughs> and, you know, it's just it, <laughs> it just goes on and on. And yep. it's uh, it's crazy that, you know, it's kind of it's an oxymoron, at least in my mind, where religion and money, it's like, why it's, but you know, but you hear about it. It used to be the Catholics had, you know, like this incredible amount of money, the church itself, right? Like right. if you add it all up, it's probably trillions. But then I heard just recently, like the Mormons actually have crushed any other religion they're and they're like stealthy about it. Yeah. They're balling right? out of control up there in Utah. Like no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is like, Clint, there shouldn't be as much discussion about it. The reason why we're right. talking about it is because people have operated in such a corrupt fashion, because it's one of yeah. those things like, do you know what we're not talking about on, on social media or news or any of those other places? We don't have any idea what we're not talking about because we don't know about it. Like, like that's right. the thing is like, we know what we know about. So we're going to be outraged about it, but there's very yeah. few things now that you can have no opinion on, but this is just such an ingrained thing that for thousands of years, Man has been using religion to make money. You can go all the way back to Constantine when people are like, yeah, whenever Constantine thought he was losing the populace, he saw the populace was moving towards the religion of Christianity. So he became a Christian. That's a very cynical way of looking at a conversion story. But people could go back and make the argument and say Constantine didn't want to lose his place, ergo lose his money and influence. So he became a Christian, whatever that means. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of ways to, to look yeah. at that. But, man, it, it shouldn't be a discussion. It's unfortunate that it is. Right. Yeah, I think they, that, you know, the interpretation of 10% tithing and all kinds of crap have just really, uh, you know, made money the, the focal point sometimes when it comes to any religion, right? I sure. Mean, they all expect you to give in some sort, but don't want to be taxed. And uh, man, if we started taxing religious institutions in America, uh, you know, I don't know if we'd have any debt. You know, I think we'd be in the black again. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> uh, we, we can move on from there. <laughs> yeah. 
tax them. <laughs> More with Jesus-loving Kyle Thompson after the break. So let's see now. Let's get into more about you and uh, what you've got going on. Um, so undaunted life. And, you know, obviously you are well-read, well-spoken as it relates to, you know, everything we've discussed so far. You sure as hell know more about what you're doing than I do. Um, and it should be that way. So tell us more about undaunted life. And and I know you say for man, but I mean, you're, you accept women into the system as well and, yeah. and push them your way or what? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say, you know, looking at data and all that, I'm not really a data guy, but about 10% of our audience is female, which I love, Clint. I love when I get emails from women. That are like, yeah. I found your podcast and then I gave it to my husband because I thought he needed this and they love it. And we listen to it together. Like, I'm like, holy crap, these people are driving because I don't make stuff for women. I expressly come from a very masculine point of view and a masculine perspective. And I talk the way I talk. Right. And that's not yeah. that doesn't jive with everybody. But I would say really the whole nexus of this whole thing is I be, became a Christian, you know, air quotes for those just listening to this when I was in 10th grade. So I'm like 16. Right. 15, 16. So around the same time I was learning what it meant to be a man, I was learning what it means to be a Christian. And I saw that there was this, this, you know, issue, this kind of oil and water thing where it's like, okay, okay, this was my paradigm as a teenager. All the manly men are out doing something else, but all the godly men are in the church and I want to go to heaven. So I'll do what the godly men do. I didn't see very many men that I would consider to be manly that were also inside the church. Again, that was my paradigm. Mm -hmm. But when I got into my early 20s and mid 20s, I saw that not only as an unfortunate thing, but a very disastrous thing, potentially, because if you really look at Jesus that as we see in the Bible, like, again, he's portrayed as Jesus meek and mild and, you know, this blonde hair, blue eyed, somehow white guy walking around, kissing people on the tips of their noses, saying how much he loves them and how he's going to hug them and, you know, you know, take care of their baby lamb. But this was a very vicious and rough man. From, from in the story in John 2, we see is whenever he cleared the temple. But there's some things about that story that people miss because it's such a short story. He he walks into the temple. He sees that, you know, they had turned his father's house into a place of trade, basically a marketplace. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus meek and mild, right? He leaves the temple, makes a whip, and comes back. Do you know what that's called? Premeditated aggression, right? Doesn't sound very Christ-like. <laughs> so it was yeah. premeditated. It took him a long time to clear the temple, and we have no evidence to suggest that anyone tried to stop him. So think about mm -hmm. if somebody walked into a room or a marketplace and nobody tried to stop somebody that was whipping people and throwing tables. Think about how intimidating. Think about the look in someone's eye, right? Think about a violent nomad standing to the side going, whoa, no, thank you. I don't want any part of that guy. That was Jesus of Nazareth. And so basically, I thought that men and men's ministry specifically needed to talk about that more because for the most part, Clint, the men's books that I read and the men's devotionals, they were women's devotionals for men, right? Mm. It, it was written from kind of this effeminate perspective, but then branded with like wood or metal or, you know, trees and forests and all that. And I'm reading through these things and I was like, man, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm 23, 24 years old. My brain's not fully developed yet. I'm like, man, these things suck. Like, why do these things suck so bad? And so, you know, kind of a long journey later, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to fill that gap because there are guys out there that are construction workers, retired military, police and fire, uh, fighters. They walk into a church and they look around at all the doughy looking men and they're like, ooh, this isn't, this isn't a place for me. 
Like, you mm. know, if, if there's a choice between being a man and being a Christian, I'm going to go be a man. And the problem is, is potentially, and this gets into whether or not someone's elect or whether or not, and that's not why we're here to talk, but that person could miss out on who Jesus really is and becoming a disciple because he looks at his followers and he's like, ah, not me, not for me. And I feel like that is not, again, not just unfortunate, it's inappropriate. And it's something that I wanted to address. And so that's why we do what we do. That's why we put out these devotionals. That's why we do the podcast. And we, we try to equip men to be able to push back darkness. There's a lot of darkness in this world, spiritual darkness, cultural darkness. And most guys, as I mentioned earlier, Clint, they're just not prepared for it. And again, we think that's inappropriate as well. So we try to equip men whenever we can. Yeah, no, that's a great message. And I, I, I see where you're coming from. I can... My point of view growing up and even as a young adult, you know, you looked at religion as a crutch. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't need a crutch. Sure. Or it's what you're alluding to, which is ego, right? It's like, eh, I don't know if I want to be associated with the uh, the pop belly pasty dudes going to church each day. <laughs> I'd right. rather hang out, hang out with my gang bangers or my motorcycle club or whatever it is you're part of, you know, and you feel like it's a, you know, weakness is a, to a certain degree. I think for a lot of guys, a weakness, right? That you got to, well, I don't need it. What do you need it for? I mean, I'm fine. I, I can do whatever I'm doing on my own. I don't need religion or any kind of spiritual connection in order to keep doing whatever it is they're doing. So I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a place for a guy like you to certainly uh, cut the ego part out or at least make it where it's more like-minded dudes that, right. you know, and I think, you know, one of the, probably the best guys I know that, where I really saw like, okay, the power and, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, it neutralized religion for me was, I mean, cause yeah. I, it's one thing to hear someone that is religious or, you know, has a strong spiritual like side of them or value, but it's different to watch a guy like that who came yeah. in the Navy and we used to give him crap because he was a virgin <laughs> Yeah. That dude stayed a virgin until he got married. He stuck to his faith while being surrounded by the most barbaric alpha dudes on the planet. Yeah. And he his strength to stay that way the whole time. That and I had to watch that. I watched it over 20, you know, 20 years and um you know, and you think, "Oh, he's going to break." Nope, he didn't break. But that is rare. There is not I don't know anyone else like him. And uh, so it says something both to how faith can drive a guy like, you know, and keep him uh, on his path and his journey. And no one, uh, no one can change that. There's no doubt in my mind with him, but I don't think that applies to most people. Well, and Clint, to play devil's advocate, which is actually hurting my own position, <laughs> yeah. there are people yeah. that come from a, a materialist, strict atheist worldview that could have done the same thing, you know, because maybe they maybe they saw all their friends that were sleeping around. Maybe they got some STDs. Maybe they even died from an STD or they got really sick or they ruined their families or, or whatever. And There's they thought to themselves, STDs. <laughs> but they but they think to themselves, like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. So they just yeah. through white knuckle determination say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to wait until I get get married to have sex. And they're making it strictly on pragmatic from a pragmatic worldview having nothing to do with religion and so the the thing that i want to say maybe as kind of the macro point that i'm maybe trying to back into here is the difference is is a guy like did it for a reason he did it to yeah, be honoring no 
to hit to God. He did it to be honoring to what he's told to do and what it means. And the thing is, when you talk to people that had very promiscuous backgrounds or, you know, had to deal with abortion situations or multiple uh, partners or multiple kids from multiple different women, whatever the situation is, you'd be hard pressed to find many of those people that would advocate for that as something that they would want their children to do or something that they believe people should do on kind of a macro level. And sure, you'll find people that will, you know, argue whatever point they want to argue. And so it's almost as if there is a model for this because I've had one sexual partner my entire life as well. She just so happens to be my bride. So that's mm-hmm. not a common thing, but it's also not something that I regret because I saw that as a very honoring thing that was very difficult to do. Now I did get married when I was 22. So it wasn't like I was 40 year old virgin or anything like that. But um, I, I do think that, it, that it's important to kind of distinguish. There are people that do things from an insane, yeah. that seem insane that are doing it from an a, a incredibly secular worldview. But then you have to ask them what's grounding you to doing that. Why do you think that is better than something else? That's a value judgment, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it is, you know, I applaud it. I really do. And that's what, like what I was saying is with someone like, character and guys like him it's uh it's impressive you know because mainly because of you know who you're who we are surrounded by and who we are mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's when it's even more impressive that a guy could actually pull through and maintain that discipline right it's awesome um so let's see here it, on the devotional side now that's new to me. So explain, like you, you, you have these devotionals that are on, uh, that have been very, very successful on a particular app. So talk to me about that. And, you know, is that how you communicate is not just your podcast, but these devotionals as well? Yeah, it started with the devotional. So the Version Bible app, I think is the most downloaded app of all time. I think it just went over 500 million downloads. And so wow. uh, it's in, I mean, hundreds of languages, every uh, different, uh, translation that you could find, you can do. So what a devotional is, is it's basically somebody writes, you know, a 21 day devotional. And so you come to there, you go to day one and you read, you know, the scripture for that day or whatever the scriptures or stories are. And then you read basically this short, you know, application of that. And then you move on to the next day where this all came from is back in 2016 or something like that. The church that started that app is like, three or four miles away from my house, right? So right in my backyard. And I went to one of the pastors there and I was like, man, these devotionals are garbage for men. Like the men's devotionals, they they were women's devotionals for men. And he's like, okay, tough guy, write one. And so I ended up writing a 21 day devotional and it was seven days on spiritual resilience, seven on mental resilience and seven on physical resilience. And then I submitted it. I was shocked when they accepted it and put it up on the app. And then I forgot about it. And then months down the road, I had lunch with the same pastor. And on the way leaving lunch, he goes, hey, Kyle, by the way, congratulations on your devotional. And I was like, I just thought he meant getting it on the app. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, no, no. Have you not heard the news? I was like, what news? He's like, it's the second most read devotional in the history of men's devotionals for the app, for this enormous app. And I was like, and that was behind the lead pastor of the church that started the app, right? So he gets all the the extra (laughs) marketing for free, right? (laughs) <laughs> and that that's where it kind of came to me where it's like, okay, the market is telling me that my voice is unique enough in this space. And even today, I've got two other devotionals. I released one earlier this summer called How to Build a Godly and Manly Foxhole. And maybe we can talk a little bit uh, more about that, what I mean by all that. But it's just, I'm very unapologetic with how I present things. I'm very cut and dry. And I, I yeah. don't talk like most pastors do. I don't talk like most Christian dudes do. Uh, I'm pretty forthright and pretty forceful with a lot of people. And I guess that comes through in my writing. Uh, but the reason why I guess why I did the podcast, Clint, is because I was like, I don't 
I don't like writing. It's not my favorite thing to do. Uh, you've joked before. You don't like writing either. That's why you have a lot of pictures in your books. But it's like that. That's the thing. Yeah. Like for me is I would much rather put five bullet points on a sheet of paper and then flow for 45 minutes on a podcast. And so that's just kind of what the podcast became. But it did really all start with writing these uh, these devotionals for that app. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a great like kind of, you know, there's always the story and the why with everyone. And I'm always interested in in it. You know, it's like, to me, that's the coolest part is like, okay, how did you get here? Yeah. What what kicked all this off? And, and, uh, and plus, I think it's important for people to kind of hear all that outside of religion, and everything we're talking about. It's like, hey, you, you, whatever you love and whatever your passion is, if you just take a moment and put a little effort into it, you'll probably just make huge changes and, and things in your life will go far more, uh, I would say, you know, happier, successful, whatever great positive words you want to spin on it. And it goes back to what my dad would always tell me. It's like, if you just find your passion, if you're passionate about something, you'll be good at it. If you're good at it, then the money will follow or whatever it is that you're looking for, you know, will follow because, that's, that's how it all, and it sounds like you're just as passionate about what you're doing and what you've got going on and job wise, do you have a job or is this a full-time gig for you? Yeah. So interestingly enough, not until earlier this year was I doing this full-time. So this is, this has been a side thing since 2017, okay. but then my wife and I kind of had a burn the ships moment earlier this year where it's like, okay, this is the time to see if undaunted life is a thing. Like if it's going to yeah. be a thing and grow and explode and do all that. And so we kind of made the decision at the same time, like, hey, let's push this because I'm, I'm very market driven. The market's going to tell me whether or not this is uh, this requires more stuff. Does this require a book? Does this require a speaking tour? Does this require more podcasts? And so we have some very interesting things coming up. But this summer has been pretty fruitful for us because I was on uh, John Cooper's podcast. He's a lead singer of Skillet. And then I went on Mike Ritland's uh, Mike Drop podcast. And then I went yeah. on Unashamed, which is Phil Robertson, the Duck Dynasty uh, guy. I went on his show uh, live down there in Louisiana. And that was, or not live, but recorded down in his studio. And yeah, that's cool, man. We've been able to find like these people are reaching out to me like, hey, I heard you on this show. I heard you on that show. Man, we need more more people like you. Like I've felt this way. That's probably the biggest thing that I get told most often is I've felt this way for so long and I thought I was crazy. Like I look around the church and I saw see all these effeminate men and I just wonder why, but I didn't want to say it out loud because I thought it would get me in trouble, right? Or you know, I have a podcast yeah. that's done. Well, it's not very Christian. Of <laughs> yeah, it's really unChristlike, right? To be super <laughs> judgmental of people. But like episode one seventy six of my podcast is called uh, "Contemporary Worship Music Is for Women and Effeminate Men," and it's uh -huh. basically talking about how these modern worship songs are incredibly effeminate in its lyrical style. And it's just not very appealing to a rough and gruff man. And like for a guy like me, I'm into really heavy metal. And so like these songs just never really agreed with my palate. And so I did a whole show on that. And the response has been overwhelming by these guys, even, even pastors like music pastors at churches that are like, you know what? I never considered the men in the congregation when picking the songs that we were going to sing on Sunday. Right. I never considered how they might feel or what they might be into. We're singing all these songs about grace and, and grace is important and, and mercy. And that's important. But those tend to be more effeminate type qualities, effeminate dominant qualities. And so, you know, maybe we do need to sing more of the Psalms, more of, you know, God is this, you know, creator of everything and, and the, you know, the, the true lion of Judah, like that type of thing. And so, uh, again, 
we're still on the journey, Clint. Like we're seeing yeah. some light at the end of the tunnel. We're, we're still kind of like a fledgling business and we're still doing things that we need to grow. Uh, we hopefully have some stuff that we can announce before the end of the year that will really get what we're doing out to a much wider audience. But part of it is going on shows like this, having discussions with guys like you, because if you look at it on paper, why in the world was I in Mike Ritland's studio? Why am I, why in the world am I on your show right now? Mm-hmm. And because it's like, I, I, I wasn't, you know, SF. I wasn't Delta. I wasn't a SEAL. I wasn't any of these things. I'm a guy that regrets having never served in the military, but I'm a guy that kind of lives that, that rough, you know, lifestyle uh, as, you know, just I'm welcoming that on myself every day. Whenever I wake up, why would a person do that? Well, it goes back to, to my worldview about cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis. And so, um, you know, I'm wanting it to grow and wanting to expand out, but you know, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. We're taking it a day at a time right now. Yeah. That's awesome, man. You're just going for it. And that's what I like is I think every, I think more people should do that. I mean, especially like we said at the beginning is, you know, capitalism driving democracy and you're in the country where being an entrepreneur and going after what you really love, uh, there's no reason not to, you know, and Mm. I think people get stuck in the daily grind and feel like they just have to be an employee when the reality is, is no, you can, you can work for yourself and you can make it happen. Uh, it's not going to come easy but you're going to love every step of it, regardless of how rough it is, because it's you, Mm -hmm. all the success, all the failure resides solely on you. And that's the, to me, that's the best feeling in the world. Absolutely. I would love to keep going with this, but we got to, we got to throw you into a scenario and uh, see where your uh, tactical decision-making skills lie. And uh, we'll see if God's on your side. <laughs> oh, right? Oh, right. Is that what we're going to do? If I answer it wrong, am I going straight? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's all connected to yeah. your religion. Yeah. No pressure at all. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Representing God right now. So I hope you get all this right. Okay. okay. More with Undaunted Life, Kyle Thompson, after the break. Here we go. Um, for this scenario, you are being paid. Okay, there's that money and religion thing again. There we go. To go to a moti- go do a motivational speech in a small town in northern Ontario, Canada. All right. Uh, to get there, you got to board a very small plane, right? Ten person plane, little puddle jumper, mm-hmm. they call them. Um, when you board the aircraft, you see only two other passengers plus the pilots, right? One guy sitting left seat, right seat. Typical setup. Uh, first question, right out of the gate here. All right, A. Choose a seat closest to the front of the plane, or B, choose a seat towards the rear of the plane. Where's the door? Uh, doors on most, of, if it's a small little puddle jumper, then probably closer towards to the, the front. front. Uh, yeah. First of all, I hate little planes. I mean, I like, <laughs> yeah. I'll just put that right out there from the beginning. But with no tactical foreknowledge, I, I think I would want to be closest to the nearest exit. So I would say front. Well, you know, you're not wrong. The, but the, the answer is choose towards the rear. And mainly the philosophy of the theory behind that is that the rear of the aircraft uh, actually tends to stay more intact mm. if there's ever an issue. Uh, being closer to the front also usually means you're closer to the wings. And the wings are actually the fuel bladders, if you will, the, or the gas tanks for the aircraft. Um, so the, in the event of emergency and crash landing, statistics show that basically being in the rear is a safer place. I've never, I've never had a crash landing, so I can't tell you if that's real or not. Well, all I know but, is I'm 0 for 1. Sorry, Jesus. I didn't mean to, <laughs> to bring you down like that, but okay, we can, yeah. we can keep it going. But that's okay. You can make up for it, all right? You can all make right. up for it, right? You can ask for forgiveness or something like <laughs> of that. Of course, they, right. They, so they say. Um, so you grab a seat in the rear, 
and uh, the plane takes off. Uh, you take out your laptop, you know, you're doing some last minute work, and while in the air, you start to feel extreme turbulence, right? The plane makes uh, an announcement that uh, the sandwiches that were brought to you in the in-flight meal will not be served due to extreme turbulence, okay? So no sandwiches for you. And uh, everybody needs to make sure they got their seatbelts fastened, okay? So uh, the pilot definitely sounds nervous, by the way, mm-hmm. okay? So do you A, tighten your seatbelt and keep working, or B, tighten your seatbelt and go ahead and get everything put away? I would tighten my seatbelt and go ahead and yeah. put everything away. I want to make sure I can respond as quickly as possible <laughs> if need be. That's right. You know, we're starting out light here. Trust me, it's going to get tougher. Yeah, great. Um, so, yes, that is correct. You know, given the roughness, the turbulence, and the nervousness of the voice, you know, I, I've I've watched, I've had my laptop out and continue watching movies in extreme turbulence. So, mm. you know, and I've noticed others that travel a lot do the same. It's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Um, but, yeah, you you sensed enough to where you're like, you know, I'm putting everything away and, you know, preparing for impact just in case. You got your You got everything put away. And lucky for you, um, you are prepared for worst case scenario because right when you get everything tucked away, you hear come over the PA system, everybody brace for impact. Okay. So you do brace, right? And now the plane uh, has, you know, basically hit the side of a mountain. (laughs) And you kind of come out of it. Uh, there's probably a little bit of snow falling through the crack in the top of the plane and you're, uh, you're still breathing. So a, do you get a, get the hell away from the plane as quickly as possible or B stay put and assess? I would probably want to get away from the plane as quickly as possible, just because obviously not knowing exactly where the gasoline is, or is, is that the worst to come was the impact or is there some fiery (laughs) furnace coming to my front door? I'm probably going to try to get out of that thing. That's right. You need to get away from the crash as quickly as possible. Um, fuel, right? Fumes. Mm -hmm. We know that, you know, you can already assume that electrical systems may be throwing sparks or you just don't know enough to be sitting there and, um, assessing the situation for very long. That's for damn sure. And uh, they say that about 30% of the people who survive a plane crash end up dying after the crash from smoke, fire, and fuel inhalation. Mm. So you, you want to just get out of there and save your lungs. Um, so you get out. You're about 250 feet away. Um, when you feel pain, you look down, you realize that you've got a broken right arm. Okay. And this isn't unusual. Adrenaline, man, you don't feel anything, right? It's the best chemical on the planet. Um, uh, It's a compound fracture, right? Meaning you can see the bones sticking out and uh, you're bleeding pretty bad. So do you, A, uh, get back, go back to the wreckage for supplies, or B, just address the injury and the bleeding right then and there? You really need to address the bleeding right then and there because if you spend too much time traveling, again, how, you're 250 feet away, but you're, you're probably at altitude. You're probably not ready for altitude, uh, and your your body's not used to it. So the amount of blood you're going to lose on the way back to the plane could be substantial, and you may not may not even need to make it for supplies at that point. So I would try to address it immediately. Yeah, exactly. That is correct. I mean, it's real simple. You have to address the threat. You know, if the threat is of bleeding or broken bones, then you have to address it immediately in order to increase survivability. It's not the kind of thing you want to wait on. Um, So you address the wound, you know, you do a good job, and you temporarily stabilize uh, everything else the best you can. Mm. So do you, A, 
sit down and wait for someone to come help you, or B, now approach the wreckage with caution and see if you can retrieve any supplies. Yeah, you, you got to go back and retrieve supplies at that point because it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. If you just sit down and wait for help, that's a, a plan made with hope and uh, I don't really want to put my faith in that kind of a plan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Hope is not a plan. So yeah, you're smart. You go, uh, the, you know, the plane is engulfed in flames. It might be a little bit dangerous to approach, but since you see the smoke and no fire, you approach with uh, caution in the areas in which you can. And luckily for you, you find a flare gun, you find some food items. Um, and next thing you know, about 50 feet away, you spot a black bear. Okay. Great. So do you a hide in this smoke fiery <laughs> wreckage <laughs> knowing that that probably will keep the bear away right i mean uh, humans are dumb enough to go back to the fiery wreckage not bears okay so or b uh very slowly put distance between you and the bear and get away from the wreckage at the same time uh, let's go with B because, again, black bear is not as bad as if it was a brown bear or a grizzly bear. But That's obviously, right. you're going to want to keep your eyes on them. Be quiet because you're adding a threat if you go back to the wreckage, right? Because maybe the black bear is going to follow you <laughs> yeah. in there. Maybe the black bear likes uh, roasted uh, marshmallows yeah, I mean, or something like that. Yeah. So at yeah. that point, yeah, you want to try to get away from both threats at that point. Yes, you're spot on. Look at you. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah, because the bear is 50 feet away and has not noticed you, you have the opportunity to get further away uh, quietly so that uh, you don't, you know, peek at the bear's interest. Uh, hiding in the wreckage, um, you know, heck, that's a loss. That's, that's a losing situation, mm. right? No one wants to do that. Once again, your lungs uh, are important at this point. Uh, moving slowly away from the wreckage of the airplane and the bear when the bear starts to slowly come in your direction. Okay. So, uh, do you turn around and run or B stand very still and be calm, stand still and be calm. My limited knowledge of how to interact with bears is no matter the breed of bear, don't take off running because they are 100% faster than you. So, uh, at that point, I would still keep the, uh, the issue in front of me and I would just try to stay calm because for all I know, the bear didn't see me and doesn't realize he's walking towards a potential lunch, lunch item. That's right. That's right. And it doesn't matter if it's man or bear. There's this thing called the mammalian reflex mammals. Mm -hmm. And there, all of us have this little bit of a predator piece that when we see something run, we want to chase it, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so you don't want to give the bear, one, you don't want to make yourself not noticeable by taking off running. Right. Uh, and two, you don't want to engage that mammalian reflex. So, um, yeah, so turning around, running can trigger the bear's predatory instincts and, uh, yeah, chase you down and claw you to death. Uh, and then, uh, but this does not seem to work, okay? The bear is still heading your way. Luckily, the bear is not charging you yet. Mm -hmm. So do you A, get loud and get big, right? Or B, stay quiet and see what the bear does next. I would probably, if I did surmise that the bear was coming towards me but hasn't started charging, that I would want to get loud and get big. That's what I have done some reading yeah. with black bears, that that's what you want to do. Whereas I think with grizzlies, it's like, all right, you know, Lay down on the ground, tuck your tail between your legs, and just pray really, really, really hard. Uh, but yeah, with a black bear, I would want to kind of get big and all that. And again, in this scenario, 
I've got a compound fracture on my arm. And if I take off running, that's probably going to increase the blood flow to that area of the body. So I don't necessarily want to do that, but I think it would be a good time to get loud and get big. Yeah. I think you're doing a good job remembering the fact that you're injured. Your performance isn't going to be that of what it was if you were running before the plane crash. Sure. Right? Um, you got the environment working against you, you know, it's take off running, you know, with all the reading I've done and actually talking and interviewing lots of people, there is this, uh, like, you know, the bear encounter experience. It has been vastly different for a lot of different people, but the baseline that you hear all the time with black bears is to get loud, get big because they are the least aggressive mm -hmm. and you can actually scare them off. Like, like they're like a big rat basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you are right. Get loud, get big. Um, in brown bear, like you said, are far more aggressive, so they say. Um, but some of the techniques for both have worked with both. Mm. And, and it's important to say that. It's really the situation, the environment, and in, in, in whether you are injured or not, and what's around you determines really what you're going to do. Um, but getting big, getting loud, and waving your arms in a steady manner uh, will, you know, for the most part, they say, scare off the big brown or I mean, big black bear. Okay. Sadly though, none of the tactics have worked. Okay. So right. yeah, the bear is getting closer and closer. You're yelling, you're screaming, shoe bear, shoe bear, shoe bear. But that doesn't work. So A, get away from the bear, going back to the wreckage uh, and climb on top of it where you can find a spot that's not on fire. Or B, now it's time to maybe lay down on the ground and tighten everything up and uh, play dead, if you will. Yeah, if uh, I can get up on the top of the wreckage, I'm assuming that freaking bear can. So I'm probably at that point going to take my chances, putting myself into a as small a ball as possible, try to protect the, my vital organ areas and just uh, pray that they're not interested in ginger meat. Yes. <laughs> ginger meat. Yes, that's true. For those of you not For watching, those... I am a flaming ginger, <laughs> flaming in the positive way. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a bit of an issue. I just hope they're not into it. Yeah. Yep. You are, you're, you're correct again. Let's face it. The wreckage is going to be, uh, probably super hot yep. by the way. Um, and, uh, the bears old paws are going to withstand the heat far more than, uh, the soles of your shoes or your hands or whatever it takes to get on top of that wreckage. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, lie down, play dead is the right answer. Uh, while there is no tried and true answer, you know, it's, uh, it's the best ones that you have at that moment in time. That's just the reality of it. Now, are you, uh, you picked the right answer. Uh, the bear is headed your way. Uh, and he pauses at the wreckage. Okay. You're laying down, you're laying still, you're ready for impact. He stops the wreckage. You remember that you have a flare gun because you haven't remembered that on your own. Yeah, right. <laughs> so do you a shoot the bear in the face with the flare gun and scare it <laughs> off or B shoot the flare gun into the wreckage and try to blow everything up, destroying the bear and, or at least scaring it away. Yeah, both scenarios sound like a bad Steven Seagal movie, but uh, I'm going to say the smaller target is the bear's face, and I don't know how sh how straight that flare is going to shoot. So given my two options, I'm probably going to try to shoot the wreckage to see if maybe that causes some sort of big explosion that scares them <laughs> off or blows them into oblivion. Yes, there you go. Correct, as usual. Good job. 
Uh, you uh, you got nine out of ten correct. You have survived this podcast. God is on both of our sides today. Yes. See, and I got the lamest <laughs> one right. You know, I could have sat on it. I could have technically sat on any seat in that plane. I feel like you set me up for yeah, failure yeah. there because it's a pack of gum with wings on it. So it's like, at what point am I really making that big of a difference? But I- I'm okay with nine yeah. out of ten. Yes. Good job, buddy. I do. Uh, I do agree with your last assessment. If you're not a shooter, avid shooter, or you've never shot a bear in the face, you probably just shoot, shoot the wreckage. That's right. Go for the bigger target, right? Aim big, hit big. That's so right. They say the opposite in the sniper world is aim small, hit small, but flare guns, I'd say aim big, hit big. Um, yeah. Hey, it was uh, awesome having you on the show. Uh, before we leave, where can people find you and, and find out more about the undaunted life? Yeah. Our website's real easy. It's just www.undaunted.life in terms of social media. We're way more active on Instagram than we are anywhere else. We're just at undaunted life. And the show is everywhere. You get your podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, everything. And so I know you like the iHeartRadio stuff, so it's definitely on there as well. But it's Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. If you search for Undaunted Podcast, I guess that's a decently popular name. But if you search for Undaunted Life or search for Kyle Thompson, you'll find us pretty easy. There we go. All right, so you heard it. And uh, once again, thanks, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show, sharing your message. It's important. And uh, I appreciate your time. So thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate you, buddy. And for those of you continuing to listen to me, which I can't believe you would do so, remember, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest and be safe until next time. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.